welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, this week's podcast is brought to you by Zyway fungicide, fungicide Brand by FMC. Hey, listeners, uh, it's just Catherine this week. Not just Catherine, we have a really great guest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we don't have Valine this week. She got pulled into a work meeting and um, wasn't able to join us. So this week, listeners, um, amidst all of the craziness going on in the world, we thought it might be interesting to have a talk about what is going on with the grain markets and to enlighten us in that regard, because I don't know anything about grain markets. <laughs> we have two of us. <laughs> We have Angie Setzer, who goes by the handle of Goddess of Grain on Twitter. So I thought, who better to join <laughs> us and tell us what is up? So Angie, thank you for joining our podcast this week. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it'll be a good conversation. So let's just start with the elephant in the room. Um, right. What is going on? Give us, I guess, give us an overview of... Um, what grain markets should be for this time of year. And then let's talk about Ukraine and Russia. Where we are and what's happening. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, it honestly depends. Like what, what is normal in the grain business is, is definitely subject to, um, you know, what's happening or it's a relative statement. Like, is this normal? I don't know. I don't know what that even is, but um, markets are, are definitely elevated. I mean, we're, we're at the, the standpoint or we're at the situation where, when you look at like crop insurance values, so the end of the month in February, like we set our, our crop insurance or spring values for, for crop insurance and for soybeans, they were the highest that we've ever seen. And for corn, it was second highest. So traditionally we don't see these types of levels this early in the season for new crop uh, production. You know, at, at the time of us talking here, you're looking at over 1450 for November soybeans and you're looking at over 650 for December corn. Um, you know, in addition to that, depending on, on which wheat flavor you're looking at, whether it's Chicago, Kansas City, or Minneapolis, they're still all well above $11. And so from an overall market standpoint, we're definitely much higher than, than we would typically be um, this early in the production season. Um, but obviously there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that have, have driven us to this point. So tell us about those circumstances. Why are we seeing these highs? Well, you know, obviously it's really easy to say Russia um, and Ukraine and, and yeah, you can look at the chart and, and look at where we were trading on February 23rd and where we were trading on February 24th when the invasion started. Um, you know, no one, even the, the world's greatest military experts didn't seem to believe that Putin would have it in him to go this extreme, um, you know, to the situation that we're seeing where he's literally trying to take over you know, what was a, a peaceful neighboring country. Now, obviously, we have a long, uh, you know, history and, and interactions and things of that nature, but we're we were really caught off guard. Um, you know, timing wise, you could say that it was uh, basically well planned by Putin in the sense that we were already at a situation to where the, the world felt um, as though we had managed to break our supply chains. So we've seen this combination of, of COVID issues, um, you know, really kind of exacerbating, um, you know, the, the, the separation of supply and demand. So right now, a lot of our demand is, is maybe um, removed from where the supply of commodities or, or goods are. 
um, and logistically getting them moved is, is also very difficult. So we really had all of these things kind of taking place. I, I said jokingly before, like, we don't just like, it used to be like, if you had one black swan a decade, it was a big deal. So a black swan is a market move that no one would have ever anticipated happening. And it just mm-hmm. kind of hits you upside the head. Um, you know, and so like the drought of 2012, okay. You could say that that was, but it was more of a Oh, we lost you. Last black that I could say that I could put my finger on. Um, and that, that was last, like, the last five seconds again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. We lost. Just you. repeat it. Yeah. Okay. The the Japanese the the Fukushima you know earthquake that we had the Japanese earthquake with the Fukushima disaster is the last black swan that I could say I could put my finger on um, in the sense that you know this was something that just absolutely rocked the market in the short term. I counted five black swans in the last two years, starting with COVID. Um, And so the idea that we could really see, um, you know, these black swans just continuously hitting this market and they're all bullish, you know, mind you, has really pushed us up to extremely high levels anyway. And then the idea that we see Russia, Ukraine, you know, two of the world's largest exporters of wheat and one of the world's largest exporters of corn, really kind of removed from the global pipeline has created this whole entire uh, explosion to the upside. And, and here we sit. Wow. So that's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> like, is a lot. When people are like, can you tell me quickly? I'm like, absolutely not. But I can <laughs> tell you in detail what happened and why we're here. And this is, you know, where we're at. Yeah, definitely. It's not really something that lends itself to bullet points, right? No, it definitely doesn't make the the presentations easy, but it, it is a lot, you know, to be looking at and, and a lot of moving pieces. And I think a lot of people in the world, you know, it's kind of goes back to agriculture as a whole. So many people in the world think that we just like throw seeds in the ground and wait for them to come up and this, that, and the other thing. And, and the reality is, you know, not only are we watching domestic developments and weather and, and all of these other things, like we're now being forced headlong into monitoring every geopolitical development, you know, that seems to, to raise its head now it, because of the connected nature in which the, the industry is. So was that not the case prior to say the last five years? I don't know when, when these black swan events started piling in on each other. Um, now do you, you have to monitor, like you said, those geopolitical, um, issues and, and movements, um, now instead of just watching the markets? Yeah, and it comes and goes. Um, you know, I've been doing this now. This is, I'm working on my 18th year. So I started in 2005. Um, so this is my second inflation cycle. Um, I don't know if we get like a sash or like a pin for our, <laughs> you know, I don't know what happens. I'm waiting to see. Um, but it's my second, second one. You know, we had conversation about inflation again in 2011 and 12, but then, you know, that really kind of didn't happen to the extreme that we're seeing this happen and what we saw happen in 2008. Um, and so 2008 and 2009, yeah, suddenly it began to matter when the mortgage, when the housing crisis came, like it didn't matter what supply and demand was because everyone was running um, to every corner of the market to just get out of the way of the sell-offs that we were seeing, you know what I mean? And so, um, 
geopolitical wise, no, five years ago, even two years ago, three years ago, I mean, the majority of market conversations that you would have would be, what does the Brazilian crop look like? What does the U.S. crop look like? Where are we going to be at from a carryout standpoint? Are there any new major developments that are going to happen? No? Okay. Well, let's just sell corn at $385, 4 bucks. Let's sell beans at, at $950 and let's, you know, live in, in uh, uh, peace and quiet forever, you know? And so <laughs> the things that we watch in the market shift a lot. Um, you know, for me, like it's kind of a constant, you know, what is impacting market movements? Um, so yeah, so five years ago, we weren't watching geopolitical developments and, and honestly, probably in a year or two, if, if things develop as, as they have in the past, we won't be again. Um, but for now I'm, I'm going to get schooled on, you know, what happens when the fed raises interest rates seven times in one year and, and, you know, how do we fix a broken supply chain? Cause these are things that we've never seen before either. So it doesn't, you know, it, 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 it doesn't matter what we were watching five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, because these are all circumstances that don't even have a, a playbook sure. for them. Yeah. yeah. And couldn't have seen them coming. Yeah. So when you're talking about a broken supply chain, um, you know, we've, we've seen what COVID did to the supply chain and, you know, we had a couple episodes on that. Um, just seeing where the, you know, some of the kinks and, and ruffles were, what's it like for the grain market and why is it, why is it still broken? Was it just COVID or has something exacerbated that? I think separating the world or separating the domestic economy, let's say, like I'm not going to speak for the world, separating the domestic economy into essential versus non-essential taught some people some very valuable things about what their job is worth. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks that recognize the fact that they were deemed essential recognize that they were underpaid. And a lot of folks in the economy started to recognize that perhaps we were back, backed into a corner ourselves in the sense that we had kind of expected these folks that we had deemed as essential just kind of show up and keep doing their jobs. Um, And so I think as a result, you're seeing a bit of a blowback. Um, And this blowback, um, you know, is, is exacerbating issues that were influenced by COVID. Like we still have obvious issues with um, you know, what took, took place in January, Omicron hit and we had quarantine rules and things of that nature. So you had, shutdowns, you had the inability to move product via barges or via rail. You know, we saw a lot of issues, like we've lost so many grain truckers. Like I couldn't even tell you, like there's other things that, that they can haul and and other things that they can be doing, you know, that are going to be paying more uh, because the freight rates for, for trucking grain really haven't changed in the 18 years I've been doing business. It feels like, you know, Hmm, like they bumped up a little bit, but they don't really stay, you know, too elevated and always kind of complains about those types of things. And so I think, um, I think we have a problem with our logistical, I think we have a problem with our transportation system in the, in the U S and potentially globally, um, that's going to rear its head. And, and I don't think that's 100% COVID related, but I think COVID shined a light on it. Okay. Um, and so I think you're going to see some continuation of, of just, an overall change in the market structure, you know, once we recognize that perhaps it's not going to be feasible in the next six months to load grain out of Michigan and send it via rail to Georgia or something of that nature in a timely fashion. Um, and that's going to create some, some more havoc uh, 
for folks that are, are located, if the demand is located far from the supply, there's going to be a lot more havoc and, and cash markets and, and things of that nature. And it's going to be crazy to watch. Like I, I, I'm a nerd in the sense that it's like, it's going to be, I, we've never seen it before. So it's going to be crazy to watch it unfold, but I'm, I'm kind of nervous in the sense that I hope I don't get steamrolled by it in some way, because it, it is something that we just don't, we've never seen happen before. Yeah. So it sounds like these sort of black swan events are just going to continue and we can't, can't really prepare for them. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah. I mean, that's actually, you know, that's a definition in a sense of a black swan is that it's just something that happens that moves the market that you can't be prepared for. And so, you know, in my gig, you know, my job is to help farmers manage risk. And so like to kind of circle and close all of these crazy things that we were just talking about, you know, is the question of what do you do about it? And so, you know, like we talked about before, we're at some of the highest levels we've ever been at for this time of year. And there's plenty of reason that we could see the market move higher if we were to run into any further production issues in South America or or here in North America. And and yeah, the Southern Plains is dealing with a pretty epic drought. The Western half of the Corn Belt is still dealing with dry conditions. And so we're going to be holding our breath in a lot of ways because we can't, we can't have a miss step production this year um or prices will have to move higher now i will say that we're probably in a way destructing demand um that we won't see we won't see this destruction of demand for a while it doesn't usually show up for a while it usually happens in feed and and maybe in some other domestic use and with the logistical issues i think we're capped out on exports um in the short term so you know there's some reasons that we could see the market fall off and so one of the things that i've really been pushing is just small incremental sales utilizing target orders and instead of asking where the market's going ask what the current market values mean for an operation and i've found that that definitely helps kind of remove some some of that emotion because yeah Stuff's going to continue to be crazy for a very long time. And (laughs) anyone that tells you they know what's going to happen in this market is lying um, through their teeth because no one knows. Um, And so when it comes down to it, like we just try to remove emotion and and focus on, on hopefully making some money here. Okay. Well, let's dive into that just a little bit more. But first, let's take a quick break um, for our sponsor this week. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Okay, Angie. So prior to our break, you were talking about risk management. Um, it sounds like you work with a lot of producers. Is Who is being hit hardest with, with all of this movement and uncertainty in the market? Is it producers? Is it um, processors? Um, where is Who's taking the biggest brunt here, brunt of the, the blows? I think it's always going to be the producer, like, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, just simply because of the fact that we are the the side of the business that, you know, buys it at uh, retail and, and sells whole, wholesale, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, we're providing or producing raw commodities and no one really cares what it costs to make that happen. 
Um, unfortunately, like I like this idea right now that the market's going to listen and raise prices because input prices are higher, but there's never been a time in my life where the market's cared if the producer is making money until the producer stops producing. Um, and in this instance, you know, as such an optimistic breed is what farmers are, we're going to continue to produce. There's never mm-hmm. going to be a time where they're like, oh, 650 corn isn't quite enough. I guess I'll watch my neighbor <laughs> plant and I'll just sit here and, and protest quietly. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not, not something we're, we're going to see happen. Um, and so I think the producer is always going to be pinched. And then I think the next pinch comes um, with the small middleman, uh, like the next person in line, like your small independent local elevator um, or someone like that. Like these commercials that have been trying to kind of provide a service to the grower from a local standpoint and, and survive in the market structure by just taking in bushels when they're, um, there's a lot of them at harvest time and, and selling them into the marketplace when it's needed. Um, I think those folks are, are really going to, to struggle in this new market structure just simply because it, it is so volatile and it costs so much to maintain a position. Um, you know, so I worry about both sides, you know, that small producer and, and the, the small commercial Everyone beyond that to make sure that they just kind of tack a little bit more margin onto whatever the product is they're selling. And so then the consumer is the one that ends up paying the price down the, the long road. Sure. So it starts, you know, with production and, and ends with consumption and, and both sides will end up getting pinched. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not a market expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that that's, um, sort of what we always see producers get pinched and then mm-hmm. consumers get pinched too. Yeah. So yep. talk to me more about the droughts that you mentioned briefly. Um, how, I guess, you know, it's easy to say that the droughts are affecting farmers, but what, what is, what is driving that? And is there any hope for relief this year? Hopefully we'll see something, you know, similar to what we saw in the spring of last year, where suddenly around the first part of April, La Nina broke down and we saw a bunch of rain work its way back into the Southern Plains. Um, Right now in the short term, you know, in the the extended forecast, we're just not really seeing that sort of pattern shift. We are seeing some rain, um, but nothing that, you know, would make us celebrate the fact that hooray, we're going to go from exceptionally dry to, to, you know, plenty of, of moisture. Um, and so that's something that we're going to watch. Uh, a lot of folks will tell you in the Western Corn Belt, or, you know, a lot of folks will tell you after last year's drought in the Western Corn Belt, you know, we've still managed to produce relatively decent soybean and corn yields. So they'll say, oh, well, dry conditions obviously don't matter. Um, which is true. I, I, I would take a well-timed rain over a, a, an average rainfall all happening in one day or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it, it definitely, you can spoon feed moisture to a, a crop and, and have it work, but you want some subsoil moisture. So I am concerned about what kind of production potential we could see, you know, now that we're carrying into the second year of drought, as opposed to it just being the first. And so, we're definitely going to continue to watch that, you know, the dry conditions in South America have alleviated and we have seen, you know, some indications that La Nina could break down. Um, but really until that happens, you know, we're probably going to see that likelihood of, of dry conditions remaining in the Southern Plains, unfortunately, because, you know, we, we definitely need that rain. We definitely could use uh, a nice recharge of soil moisture. We need a, a good wheat crop you know, and we're not, we're not seeing that. I mean, right now you're looking at one of the worst wheat crops, um, ratings 
on record. Now it's March 15th. So I don't know how many people that listen have spent a ton of time looking at winter wheat, but you know, it's just now starting to green up and I've seen some really, really ugly wheat (laughs) turn into some nice looking wheat with, um, some shots of moisture and some shot, you know, a shot of nitrogen and, and this, that, and the other thing. So it's possible that we could see conditions improve, but we definitely need to see the forecast change, you know, in order to, to make that happen. Okay. Is there any, um, any government aid on the horizon for producers who are struggling with drought? Right now, nothing that I've seen, but I'm sure there's a ton that'll be in the works. I know there, there was some conversations about grazing laws and, and different rights in that regard and, and some of that to where we can see some of that relief. Obviously, you're going to have some of the crop insurance and things, but there's been nothing. I feel like there hasn't been as much attention paid to it directly currently, just simply because it has been out of production season. But another month or so of, of these this continued conditions, you know, if they don't improve and there's gonna be a lot of conversations about what it could mean, you know, for Southern Plains production. And I would argue that the weather pattern shifting last year, like it did, you know, really kind of supported national crop production because the Southern Plains were able to have a, a decent crop, you know, cause they get rain. Like a lot of folks forget that the Plains, you know, if you, if you can actually get moisture in the Southern Plains, they can grow one, one heck of a crop, you know? And so, um, we're, we definitely need that this year more than anything. So until the, the weather weather pattern shifts to a wetter sort of outlook, we'll be, we'll be holding our breath. Yeah. Unfortunately, that just sort of seems to be the status quo, mm-hmm. right? We're, yeah. we're always hoping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get used to it. Cause it's every year. And I always say hope is not a market strategy, but right. I had a friend of mine the other day say that he's like, I feel like I've said hope a lot more this year to my clients than I ever have in the past. Yeah. I was like, I feel that I think yeah. I have to. And that's a tough position to be in too, mm-hmm. to not have anything else to offer. Yeah. You just are <laughs> like, I hope I'm right. I hope that we do this. I hope it doesn't, you know, and that's, I mean, at this point, that's really all you can do is just try to make the, the right decisions and, and, and go from there. But in these markets, like I said, no one knows, no one knows what the right decision is until after the fact. And right. then it feels like a lot of people are like, oh, well, I saw that coming all along. And it's like, you, you know, you did not, no one did, <laughs> you know, but I'm glad that you can use hindsight bias to, you know, reaffirm your confirmation bias right. that way you can, can do both. <laughs> Yeah. Well, give them something to talk about, I guess. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's just it. So, so yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be a fun, fun growing season. I use fun in quotations. <laughs> I'm already ready for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, Angie, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for joining us today. If people want to follow you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, um, or you can shoot me an email at Angie at ConsusROI.com. Very good. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. And listeners, thank you for tuning into this, this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us directly at talktous at millennialag.com. Until next week, we are Millennial Ag. This episode was brought to you by Cyway. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection.
Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.